Hello and welcome to this episode of All Over Sport. My name's James. And I'm Dom. So Dom, you had a new idea you wanted to try out, didn't well, uh, you? Yeah, I thought it would be quite interesting to start off this, this episode with a discussion. So I've been watching, we always talk about what we've been watching in sport the week. So I've been watching the Women's T20 World Cup. Uh, have you? I did actually. You I watched did. I watched a bit of Bangladesh versus it, India today. I'm actually shocked. I know. You said yes there. But anyway, um so there was an incident where the bowler had an opportunity in the last over of the match, the bat- batting team needed seven runs to win, I think. And uh the bowler had a chance to mancad uh the batsman at the other end, which is when you're running up to bowl, you can knock over the bales of the batsman if they leave their crease. But she didn't do it because it's seen as being against the spirit of the game. And then the next ball that she bowled, the batsman hit it for six and they won. And my question is, like, when is it, oh, when is it appropriate to say you can't do that because it's against the spirit of the game? Or well, you can do that because it's the rules you're allowed to. I just think it's a really interesting sort of discussion. It's one that we can have on our social media pages. People can comment, leave yes. their thoughts. Um, but is that what you watched over the weekend, Dom? Is that... Oh, are you not, are you not actually going to comment no, on I'm not going to answer because you, you've, you've thrown it on me. I haven't given it any thought. Um, no, and to be honest, <laughs> I've forgotten the question. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it. Move on. No, Move on to something else. Well, tell me about your weekend. How was the, What sport did you watch? Oh, I didn't watch any. I've been moving. I've been moving house. I can't. I haven't, been, haven't had time to watch. You mean you didn't watch the big fight? Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury? I, I didn't, no. Very good fight. I, well, I, I've heard. I've been reading all about it this morning. Um, and it, it does seem like it was one to one. The thing is, Tyson Fury is one of those... Uh, I'm not so sure about him. Because in the one end, he's very much you know a character. He's got a lot of charisma. And you like that in a sportsman. But then, at the other, on the other hand, he said a lot of stupid things in the but past. But I think that, that all adds up to the, uh, the, as you say, the character Tyson Fury. But when you can't take away from him is he, he boxed brilliantly on a Sunday. Technically, it was Sunday against Deontay Wilder. For those who haven't seen, he beat Deontay Wilder seventh round. Deontay seen threw the towel in, and from the get go, Tyson was on top. So it was a it was a very good fight. On top of that, I watched the rugby, England versus oh, yeah. Ireland. Ireland were very poor. It was probably the worst oh, Ireland display I've, I've seen in a long time. And then what else did I do sporting And now isn't it the case that only France can win? Um, I don't know. I need to look at the title. Oh, okay. I need to look at the table. Um, but France are on course for the Grand Slam, yes. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I think on that note... Talking about the French. Uh, <laughs> one one final word on Tyson Fury. I prefer his brother. Because you like Love Island. Well, no, I've watched the series of Love Island that he was in. Right. And he's very good. This is lowering our podcast. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to crack on with the show. <laughs> so we're going to start the episode, as we always do, with our factoids. Um... Now, this week, our first factoid, our first um, sporting person that we're going to be talking about is Ellie Simmons. Ellie Simmons, of course, the legendary Paralympic swimmer. Uh, started from a very young age, has won gold medals, has won um, Commonwealth medals. She's won pretty much everything. Absolutely incredible. Um, I think she was Young Sports Personality of the Year as well. And there goes my fact. No, I'm joking. Was <laughs> oh, no, no, no. God, I took it away from you. But go on, James. What's your fact on Ellie Simmons? So... 
I've had a bit of a bit of a shocker of a week. Oh no! I actually genuinely think my factoids aren't even worth saying. No, I, I've James, re- that's not true. I've struggled. I have struggled. Well, look, Ellie Simmons. My fact on Ellie Simmons is she was given an MBE in the 2009 New Year's Honours list, making her the youngest person ever to be handed the accolade at just 14, and then she received an OBE in 2013 for her services to Paralympic sport. That's fine. It's good. fine. That's good. I feel like some people might know it. You know, Ellie Simmons fans are going to know it. It's nothing new. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But, well, my fact is that... Um, one thing people probably don't know about her is that she volunteers for the Girl Guides. She's a Girl Guide leader. And you know how in the, like the Cubs and Scouts and things, you have the leaders, that, like they have the nicknames like Arkayla and all that. Well, her nickname uh, is Aqua Owl. Were you in the Scouts? I was in the Cubs. I didn't go through to the Scouts. I remember sending... <laughs> I remember sent a resignation letter <laughs> to my Arkayla. <laughs> What a, like, I sent her a letter being like, I don't want to be in the Cubs anymore. I've really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this bit and I enjoyed it. Are you, you're, you're tearing up. I mean, <laughs> what, what child sends a resignation letter to the Scouts? I thought it was polite. Well, okay, fine. We're, we're going to gloss over that chapter of your childhood. Um, Shall I talk about the Discover section? Yes, so, um, of course, we're going to go into the Discover section. It was your turn to pick a sport this week. So, what are you going to be talking about this week? Table tennis. Ah, yes. Now, a sport that I'm pretty sure everybody has played and has loved, but one that certainly does get, especially the rules, get very distorted. I I don't think people appreciate the complexities of the game. Go on then, tell us all about it. So table tennis began as a parlour game in the 1800s as an alternative for lawn players who wanted to adapt their game to play indoors during the winter. Now, ping pong was actually its original name and it was trademarked in the United States in the 1800s by the Parker Brothers, a board game company. However, in 1922, the Ping Pong Association, as it was named, became renamed the Table Tennis Association. Oh, okay, so you can technically call it both. Ping pong and table tennis. If you want, no one's going to stop you. Fair. Anyway, the rules for those who aren't familiar with um, table tennis, as I'm going to call it. (laughs) So, I'll quickly go through them. A service. You must start with the ball open palm to avoid you from throwing it and spinning it. You must throw it up at least 16 centimetres high. And the ball must be above and behind the table throughout the serve. That's a bit about the service. The most exciting bit of any match. But already, you've come across a rule that many people in pubs or whatnot when they're playing don't follow well as well i'm gonna break a myth for you oh go on you don't have to serve diagonally in table tennis i i always tell people this i always tell people and they always say no no no, it's just like normal it's not no in tennis squash and badminton you must serve diagonally but in table tennis singles you can serve wherever you like wow there you go. There you I, go. I've proved everybody wrong. We've, we've broken a myth. Indeed. The myth busters. <laughs> anyway, general match play. So you have two serves before it's your opponent's turn. At 10-10, to juice. You can serve one each and must win by two clear points. And if you're, if you're playing best of three, five or seven, you have to change ends after each game. Now, a let... Because I, I find let's a difficult one. Mm. I'm not a fan of let's. I, I played ping pong recently, or table tennis, as it should be known. Um, and a few people got away with it. So a let is an otherwise good serve that touches the net, or the receiver isn't ready, or players disturbed by something outside of the player's control. Like in my case, someone brought the pints. And that- <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah. Well, you can't keep on playing for that. You've you can't. Start, yeah. Well, look, 
A point is lost if the service is missed, the service is not returned, a shot goes into the net, a shot goes off the table without touching the court, or a player moves the table. One question, which is quite an odd one, but I've always thought about it. What happens if you hit the ball and it hits the edge of the table? Does that count? I believe so. Okay, because I, I, I don't know. I just always wondered if that was not technically fair or so. I don't know. Well, actually, that's a very good question. If anyone who listens knows a lot about table tennis, please let us know. Because mm. those are quite the, they're very difficult shots, those Yeah, ones. yeah. Well, look, some of the big names in table tennis. You've got Fan Zhengdong, who's currently the number one male in the International Table Tennis Federation. And then you've got Cheng Meng, who is uh, the number one female. Now, I thought as well it would be interesting when talking about table tennis because I, I feel like most people have seen a classic table tennis table, the, the paddles and the white ball. I just thought we'd quickly talk about China. Oh, yes. Discussion. So, interestingly for China, at least 44 table play- tennis players in Rio were Chinese-born, wow. even though only six of them were playing for China. Wow. Yes, so, so- it's big. We, we know it's big. Yes. And essentially... How it came about was in the 1950s, Chairman Mao, the uh, the leader at the time, the communist leader, thought it made logical sense that they chose table tennis as a major sport because it could play cheaply without much space and it wasn't particularly popular in the West, so Chinese dominance could prevail. Oh, yeah. And in China to this day, 10 million people play competitively ping pong regularly or at least 300 million play on an occasion. And I mean they take it seriously. And some of these... Um, table tennis colleges they're practicing up to seven hours a day with specialized practice partners and sometimes even playing against two at a time so it really is one of the major national sports it's such an accessible sport you could really take a paddle and net yeah. anywhere with you because they're, they're quite pocket sized really aren't they yeah, yeah. is it the same in other parts of asia as well like south korea and japan and whatnot could be <laughs> Fair enough. Could be. Uh, no, but I, I believe so. And we've recently just had the Hungarian Open, which actually Japan won both the men's and women's titles ah. in Budapest. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So it, it is massive throughout Asia. And what I found really interesting about table tennis, it, it made me, sounds daft to say, but view it as a much more serious sport because I've only played it in, in, a, in a school, in the common room or in a bar. Mm. That's what it, it's what it's seen as mostly, isn't it? But actually, what watching the clips of like Olympic table tennis players is absolutely incredible. To see like rallies going on for five minutes or longer is just amazing to see. Oh, exactly. Some of the some some of the agilities as well. I think the longest table tally ever. In the Guinness yeah. World Records, interestingly, oh yeah, yeah, um, was and this is this wasn't a competitive match. I can assure you this: eight hours, forty minutes, five seconds. Oh my god! Played by Daniel Ives and Peter Ives at the Plumstead Radical Working Men's Club in London on the twenty third of March, two thousand and fourteen. And I'm assuming they were playing in order to get the record. Oh, of course. We yeah, imagine yeah. playing table tennis for eight hours, forty minutes. I mean, you can't. Well, you can. Yeah, but we you can. You can't. But you can. <laughs> I was about to say, Dom, it's factoid time, yes. but I'm going to not use that because that phrase is kind of picking up a bit of traction. It's factoid time! Da, 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 da. Anyway, he went there. He <laughs> at, No, generally, I'm flabbergasted he went there. <laughs> Look, let's crack on. 
Let's do about the country, Papua New Guinea. Ah, yes. So, Which we've mentioned a few times on this podcast. Well, we, we chose Papua New Guinea this week because we've mentioned it so many times. Very logical with us. Mm. Well, look, my factoid is rugby league is the national sport. And interestingly, they're nicknamed, and I can't pronounce it, the Kumuls. K-U-M-U-L-S. Which, Kumuls. Which means, and you like animals. Yes. I keep saying that you like animals. I do, I do. Um, which means the birds of paradise. And... Oh bit of a i don't know what the fancy name is for if you know birds oh um oh let me carry on with the fact and you think if you remember yeah it. i will our members of the family the paradisa day of the order passiformis i butchered that oh, horrible but the majority of the species are found in new guinea and eastern australia and actually there's 42 species in 15 genera so it's a big bird. It's a very famous bird in Papua New Guinea, and that's what they're named after. Ornithologist. Ornithologist. Just remembered it. I didn't. I didn't look it up. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, my fact on Papua New Guinea is another major sport is cricket. Um, it's it's gotten very big at cricket recently, actually. But Papua New Guinea, if you know it, is it's one of these countries. Can I interject? Should oh, we just God. rename this podcast? I'm tired. It's not all over sport. <laughs> it's all over cricket. <laughs> That is literally it. That is literally this sport, this podcast. I mean, it's twice in this episode. <laughs> I have to get it in at least once every episode. Well, go on, then. What's your the factoid? So, if you know Papua New Guinea, it's one of these countries which is made up of a whole load of islands, you know, it, it, encompassing a huge area. You know, you'll have an island. 200 miles off the mainland and it's still part of the nation of Papua New Guinea. So one of the uh, islands around Papua New Guinea uh, is the Trobriand Islands and uh, cricket is their major sport there and it's become infused with the local culture because it became their replacement uh, for war between tribes actually. But my fact is that on the Trobriand Islands they don't quite play cricket in the correct way. Well, they, they, the correct way for them, I should say. But um, they play with stones rather than balls, uh, unlimited fielders, and they last for several months. Right. So, yeah. so I, I guess Sky won't be able to screen that game anytime quite. soon. And they use it instead of war. So it's a bit more intense and it's a bit more... It has healing qualities, isn't it? Yeah. In I think. But <laughs> anyway... On that note, which, to be fair, Dom... How is, that, how is that a note? Well, that is a note, because I was about to say that you've played a blinder there. I was very impressed with that Oh, fact. thank you. Thank that, you. That's impressive research. But it's your turn to talk about Let's Get Topical, isn't it? And yes. what are we talking about this week, Dom? Well, let's go on to some not-so-impressive research. Uh, no, um, this, actually, this topic is a topic which, I'm going to say it, is very close to my heart. Because it encompasses two things which I love. Um, one is what, what, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I used to really, really love my Formula One. I've gone off it like, in the last few years, but I used to really love it. But the other thing, big thing is if like we both met at university, and at university I studied environmental science. That was my thing. And uh, so this episode we're actually talking about an environmental topic. Um, we're talking about climate change, which yes. Which is interesting, because you've said to me, off-air, that you're a climate change denier. (laughs) (laughs) Stirring the pot, why don't you? Um, No, well, 99% of all climate scientists believe that we have, pretty much until 2030, to cut our carbon emissions down to zero, or 
we're going to be in a planet-wide catastrophe. So that means that every industry has to has to improve uh, re- reducing their carbon emissions, including sports. Now, most sports contribute to global warming through transport of fans and teams, but the sports that are under most scrutiny are motorsports. So I'm going to be talking this week about motorsports' impact on climate change. So take us away, Dom. Well... First, I'm going to slightly focus on Formula One here. I will talk about other sports as well. But um, we've got some stats for you here. Uh, A website called Clean Technica said that a single Formula One team can travel over 109,000 air miles over the 21 race calendar, meaning in total all 10 teams will be burning approximately 147 million pounds of carbon dioxide. That's the same amount of emissions that come from charging over 8.5 billion smartphones. Absolutely huge. And of course, that doesn't even include the amount that they'll burn in fuel. It doesn't uh, include the production of 20 race cars, thousands of tyres, all the spare parts. And then you have the spectators. And as we've seen last year, spectator attendance actually went up by almost 2% in 2019, with more than 4 million people attending at least one race. And most of those people will drive or they'll fly. And, I mean, if you've seen the Monaco Grand Prix, think of all the people who attend that on their private yachts. It's not only Dom that has facts. I found out that actually the carbon dioxide emissions of F1's activities produce the same amount of energy to 30,000 homes for the same period. It just shows. It's just it's a huge impact. And you have to talk about the economy of the actual F1 car as well. I mean, the average road car does around 40 miles to the gallon. The economy of a Formula One car, 3.5 miles to the gallon. And these cars will not only drive during the race, but three qualifying sessions, three practice sessions. And take a different example, NASCAR, you know, probably the biggest motorsport in America. They run at around five miles to the gallon. And in a single race, they'll have more than 40 cars at high speeds for about 500 miles, plus practice laps. You're looking at around 6,000 gallons of fuel. Huge amount. Each gallon burned emits around 9 kilograms of carbon dioxide. So that's around 55,000 kilograms of CO2 for a race weekend. Multiply that by roughly 35 races per year. And NASCAR's annual carbon footprint is around 1.8 million kilograms of co2 and the energy expended in just one race can power more than three houses or drive seven cars for a whole year so you know if you just think about that amount it's it's absolutely incredible you've really you've done your research here Tom, and again i'm impressed again these are heavy stats you're playing out it's good i like throwing my stats out it's good please continue (laughs) i'm not here well no (laughs) no feel free to chip in it's all good it's all good um so now I'm going to move up. Well, what are motorsport actually doing about it? Well, yes. And actually, I've seen Sebastian Vettel, big F1 driver. He I is believe. indeed. He's yes. done a big call to action for Formula One to lead the way, demonstrate some change, some transformation in the vehicles. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to come on to that in a bit, actually. So thanks for stealing my thunder there, James. But, you said uh... get involved. <laughs> but, um, well, motorsport didn't really start to respond to this climate action until around 2007 and even then it was mainly just discussions as such um the international formula master series planned to use um hybrid cars in the 2007 season um but then a month later they uh, scrapped that and just went to regular fuels uh, back to normal so it has taken a long time 
for sports to start recognising they need to do something. Now, probably the biggest motorsport to try and address this is the um, Formula E series, which started in 2012, um, which competition similar to Formula One, but powered by fully electric vehicles. And it's now huge. It's you know, it, it's a really, really big series. It's been going for almost 10 years. It's proved really successful. It's a really big threat to uh, Formula One. I was looking at some of the, uh, the sponsorship. You're seeing that some of the big companies, like, for example, Heineken, uh, uh, French Champagne, Moet, Saudi Arabian Airlines are getting behind Formula E uh, due for their, their new corporate endorsement. So it's massive, mm. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And look, Formula One have tried to do their bit as well. Like they're constantly trying to update their engines to lower lower revs. So, like in 2013, they switched from V8 engines to V6, which are less polluting. They actually attempted a 10-year ban on engine development uh, to push teams in developing more green racing tech, but I don't think that's entirely worked. Um, And like you say, Formula One drivers, like Vettel, you say, was trying to um, raise the issue. I think he is actually quoted as saying, for the future, we can't close our eyes and say we need to do what we've been doing for the past 100 years. The goal should be to have the same emotions, living the same passion for racing, but in a way that is more sustainable, which is a great quote, and I think was the mythology we should be following. And Lewis Hamilton famously has now, like, you know, he's very much an environmentalist. He's opened a series of like vegan restaurants to try and push to a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Um, so the drivers are doing their bit. And I've read that the Formula One has actually pledged to become carbon neutral by 2030. And so what they've announced saying is they've got a new series of measures designed to reduce its emissions by between, I think, is it 20 to 50% over the next decade? Oh, wow. Well, there you go. I mean, that's that in, in itself is a huge step. And I mean, in other sports as well, like IndyCar have reduced their greenhouse gases by going from methanol to ethanol, which is more environmentally friendly. Um, in the 24-hour Le Mans, competition uh they've pledged that in 2024 they're going to start using hydrogen powered cars so you know there's those sort of small steps but there haven't been too many major steps so far and unfortunately i think the major thing for this is the risk of economic loss and you know the heads of these sporting bodies especially because they have so many relationships with big car manufacturers they're worried that those companies are going to pull their resources or or even like the sporting bodies risk they they're worried that they're going to become more niche and therefore they're going to alienate their audience like they're worried that formula e was not going to was going to put people off because it didn't have the same necessary I guess the word would be intensity as Formula One you know with the sound of the engines like you can say but I don't think that has happened at all but then I guess that just reflects normal life where the biggest threat to environmental change is economic decline. Well, and as well, I've read as well, Formula One are starting to work with some of the big suppliers, such as the Royal Dutch Shell, ExxonMobil, Petronas, to look at biofuel as an alternative. But actually, on the topic of Formula E, a few things I just want to throw out there I found interesting to read is that, did you know Formula E partnered with BTS? Do you know who BTS are? The big Korean pop band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're partnered, random fact I found out. But they've also got, they've created another series called Extreme E, which is going to be their sister series, which aims to highlight climate change in five remote locations as 12 cars go head to head in electric SUVs. Now, they're going to start off in 2021. It's going to come out in Greenland. But alongside this, they're going to bring along 
um, environmental experts in the likes of Cambridge University to do research in the likes of the Arctic, the Himalayas, the Amazon rainforest, and parts of the Indian Ocean. Mm. And look, there have been loads of suggestions put out there as to what they could do. I mean, you know, there's obviously you, you, they could make, have better public transport for races. You know, more they could put on special planes that are more environmentally friendly, for example. Or like NASCAR, they've got like a tree planting program to offset their emissions. Yeah, absolutely, stuff like that. I mean, some suggestions have become like you have less races or you lose practice one and two from formula one but i don't think they're going to do that because the economic loss have more durable tires maybe and of course having less reliance on car companies creating teams like peugeot or vw and lead towards other companies who are more open to greener pathways like we had a, a virgin formula one team but i think for me personally just to kind of sum up my little conclusion here is i think one of the reasons why so little is being done to stop climate change in general is that everyone makes exception for themselves like you, it, it's very easy to somebody for somebody to say there are too many cars on the roads but then they can also say oh but i have to use mine it's very important that i use mine and i think the same problem is affecting motorsport that they're saying yes we need to do something but they're not willing to ma- to take that big step and actually do it So now we're going to move on to sports moments to savour, where we talk about those sporting moments in our lives that have really, really stuck with us and meant something to us. So, James, what are you going to be talking about this week? So I'm going to talk about, and because it's this weekend, Aston Villa are playing, you know, I'm a Villa fan, they're playing oh, yes. in the Carabao Cup final at Wembley against Man City, but I'm going to talk about our last visit to Wembley, which was Aston Villa beating Derby County 2-1 to get promoted to the Premier League last year. Okay, James, you have one minute, starting from now. So as a Villa fan, I've had many highs, but recently a lot of lows. And the reason why this is such an important moment to me is because it brought us back to the Premier League. We were one of the founding members of the Football League, and to be relegated was a massive shock. And I personally didn't think we were going to get there. We had a very sluggish uh, form in the season, but suddenly we started winning 10 games on the spin. Hasn't happened for Aston Villa during my lifetime, it was a record-breaking run with originally a 4-0 win against Derby in March and then a finally a 1-0 win against Millwall at the end of the run. Now, we got to Wembley after a really dicey playoffs against West Bromwich Albion where we won on penalties in the end, which was a great moment. I was in, a, I was in Southampton at the time, absolutely loving it. But then Wembley arrived, so much anticipation, so much excitement, and where Ghazi gives us the lead, then John McGinn gets the second, admittedly Derby pull one back, but in front of 85,000 fans, admittedly some of them Derby fans, Aston Villa get promoted to the Premier League, it was great, I, lo- I it was mad. Time! Uh, <laughs> I-, I clapped at the end, sorry Lissus, but <laughs> I ran out of steam towards the end, because I-, I felt like I bu- built up this journey, but I didn't know how to end it. It was beautiful, it was beautiful, although uh, it wasn't a shock when Villa got relegated, I should say. Thank you, Dom. So, so, um, <laughs> just, just to correct you on a point that you made. What, what, how do you mean? What, oh, come on. That season... Oh, no, they... sorry. I said it was a shock for a club of that stature to go down. That season, we were very... This is not... I, this, I was... this is not... Sorry. This is not an Aston Villa podcast. But what I'm going to say, a club of that stature to go down 
is a shock. The way we went down wasn't a shock. With one of the worst teams ever to play in the Premier League. Okay, well, I hope you get relegated this season. The claws are out. Anyway, listeners, we're going to go into Factoid 3 before this gets very personal. <laughs> um, it's about show jumping. Now, we've got to give a shout out to the person who gave our first comment on Apple Podcasts, uh, Miss Hammy. They, they, she suggested that we give show jumping a go and we listen to our listeners. We did. So, Dom. Show jumping, take it away. Well, I I'm really happy about my fact about show. I think this is actually my favourite factoid that I've ever done for this podcast. So I'm hoping it's good. I'm hoping you'll enjoy it as well. Show jumping. So I want to draw your attention to stroller, and stroller is the only pony to ever compete at the Olympics. He was only 57 inches tall. And he actually won silver in the individual competition at the 1968 Mexico Olympics and was only one of two horses to jump a clear round. And he was a tiny pony. Amazing. Well, again, Tom, you've had a very strong week. But oh, listeners, thank you. do vote for me in the poll. Do no, vote for me in the poll. Vote, no. But look, my fact's about Nick Skelton, who was the last great British individual gold medalist and who retired in 2017 but the interesting fact about Nick Skelton was he won his first gold medal at the age of 54 and then completed the double in 2016 at the age of 58 making him the oldest Olympic British gold medalist since 1908 and this was all off after in 2000 he had a dramatic fall where he broke his neck yeah he's an absolutely amazing asset and I remember um, when he was nominated for Sports Personality of the Year, I think I think I voted for him that year actually because he's just a, he's an incredible athlete and his story to go what he's gone through is yeah amazing. Well, that was the year he finished third behind Andy Murray. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Murray's won it a couple of times though, hasn't he? Um, and I I think Skelton's a bit more deserving of like because what he went through to get to that point just. I think he completely deserved it. Wonderful athlete. Well, on the note of this Nick Skelton loving, um, <laughs> I want to say thank you for tuning in. As always, please hit subscribe on any of the platforms you listen to. Give us a like on our Facebook page, All Over Sport Podcast, and also our Twitter page. John, what's the handle? Yes, follow us on Twitter. It is at... Oh no! I'm gonna forget it. I've been I've been on it all. Anyway, week. I don't know. So I'll give Dom a few more seconds to get that together. But please do leave a comment as well. We'll try our best to accommodate that, like we did with Miss Hammy. And I'm now gonna throw it back to Dom. It's our handle is at All Over Sport Pod. Brilliant. So thank you for tuning. Hit subscribe. Leave a comment. Like our social media, and we'll see you next time. See you then. <laughs>